Welcome to Get Offset. My name is Emily. I'm Joan of Heart. And quick corrections corner. The bad monkey is not, as we <laughs> said, for some <laughs> reason that is uh, unknown to us, a clon clone. It's a tube screamer. Should have known as it was green. Yes. Um, I'm not a tube screamer person, so Neither I am I. I don't like yeah. I don't like either of those styles. No, I don't like tube screamers nor clones, though. No, neither am I. I don't like clones. I don't like tube screamers. I mean, I like rats. I like, you know, more I don't know. I guess heavier distortion pedals. Like I'm even I'm particular about fuzz too. I'm picky, but yeah, like typically like a rat distortion is pretty much what I like. Yeah, I mean, I haven't played a ton of Tube Screamers. I think the the most Tube Screamery pedal I have is the Caroline Guitar Company, the Blues, which was their April Fool's pedal one year <laughs> that I uh, got on April Fool's. So that was pretty fun. Nice. <laughs> I yeah, I, I don't know. Too. Yeah, you rented I, the Blues. I I, I rent no, I rented uh, just a, one of the Tube Screamers just from uh, the Pedal Genie thing. Uh, not Genie. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, I rented from them and I was just like, I usually reserve renting for like pedals I'm on the fence about and I don't really want to foot the money and be wrong and then have to like figure out how to sell it and take a loss afterwards. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, that's, I did, I did my whole like toss of like, okay, well, let me see what Tube Screener is about. So I did the classic like Ibanez uh, one that, but that one was white. So I think that's the new I guess NU tube screamer. I can't remember. Uh, but I tried that one. Yeah, it's just not just not my thing. I mean, it's valid of a sound, but yeah, just not me. Yeah, there's lots of tube screamers out there. Mm -hmm. I know JHS makes a pedal that's I think it's called the Bonsai. That's just mm -hmm. tube screamers yeah, and like slight variation. It's there. Tube screamer muffaletta. They also have one for the rat. It's a uh, pretty neat how yeah, they do rat. that. It's neat how they do that um, analog. So I had a muffaletta for a while, and then I realized I just don't like muffs <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm i'm very particular i mean i like the well the black mouth which is basically uh mass electronic i think audio um it's i like theirs mouth. yeah um the black russian which is the was it not the green one but the black one uh from uh ehx like a vintage one um, but a lot of things I'm pretty selective, I guess, for when it comes to fuzz. Um, but yeah, I have the pack rat from JHS. I like the fact that it's cause I wanted to at some point get a turbo rat, but I didn't, you know, obviously have the means at the time to get one. So the fact that I got that and I was like, okay, well now I know kind of like what that sounds like. And yeah, I like kind of how fatter of a sound it is compared to the other rats. And I know people say all rats are pretty much sound the same <laughs> and maybe it's just the volume level, who knows? Uh, but I, I like all rats. So, you know, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> My favorite rat is pizza rat. <laughs> no, nobody remember no, the pizza no, rat no, Oh, Pizza no. Rat's a good meme. It's just, the, it's like uh, a video of a, now. it's a video oh, of a wait, rat. Oh, wait, no, I do, I do. Yeah, in the subway, the pizza, yeah, the, with the dragon uh, down the stairs, that one. Yeah, Pizza Rat. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember Nothing more quintessentially New York <laughs> than Pizza Rat. I, uh, when I lived in New York, I w worked two days a week in a building that was attached to a Wendy's, and hmm. I remember asking my boss, like, you ever go to that Wendy's? And he's like, no, because... I know that we have rats, and if we have rats, they have rats. I also kind of oh, thought, shit. well, doesn't everybody have rats here? Yeah, yeah, most Picky. likely. <laughs> I hated that. 
hated that internship. I worked uh, <laughs> way in the back of the on the floor and mm. my boss's office for the first couple of months. And then I switched to work with somebody else was right by the bathroom. So oh, everyone no. had to like walk through his office to get to the bathroom. It just smelled really bad. So then I switched oh. to uh, working more closely with a man named Jason Consoli and uh, love Jason. Jason's great. If you need PR, nice. he's probably busy, but he's, he's great. Yeah. I love Jason. Um, yeah. So that is our corrections corner. Yes. We are humans. <laughs> Mistakes so, happen. Like we are not all knowing. <laughs> yeah. The only person who pointed out is a Patreon supporter. So thanks to yeah. everybody for not, <laughs> for not being dick. Tearing up the thrush reds. <laughs> thanks. Always appreciated to. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> yes. Like I said, thank you yes. so much for understanding. Uh, always appreciated. But um, yeah. So. I wanted to talk about just kind of something a little bit more, a little bit more lighthearted today. Mm -hmm. I thought we could talk about some albums that we think are just like essential, essential listening for guitarists, musicians, and otherwise. Okay. Yeah. So also kind of a low research topic, but I love talking about music and thinking about <laughs> it. So yeah. um, I, you know, I, I always joke about this, but it's also the truth. The uh, television's marquee moon is I think just an essential record that everyone should have and everyone should listen to, especially guitarists, because the guitar work on it is so beautiful and good and hard at the same time. And I remember the first time I heard a television song, I was on a Delta Airlines flight because Delta used to have radio stations built into the, it's like more like a playlist, but um, you, in, the, in the armrest, you could plug in your headphones and you could go through channels and each channel kind of had like a different vibe. And it was like a one hour or so curated playlist. And Steve Wynn um, had, who's very talented. He had, um, was chosen by Delta to do one of these and he had television on it. And uh, so I was just blown away and I was like 12 years old or something. <laughs> and I'm like listening to television, maybe like 14, 15, I don't know. Actually, you know what? I can I can give a closer year. I was I was fourteen or fifteen years old um, at the time. It just really rocked my world and and changed my my perspective on music in a really big way. So thank you, Steve Wynn and Delta Airlines. But uh, <laughs> my joke about that record is I've made every man I've ever dated buy it <laughs> at a record store. Rite of passage. <laughs> Rite of passage. You want to date me? You need to listen to some Tom Verlaine. God damn it. I was, you know, not so bad because I can't tell you how many men have tried to introduce me to the replacements. Mm. A lot of them. So, <laughs> does that mean you, you have a type? <laughs> no, I think it just means music nerd men have yeah. a perception. I've listened to the replacements also since I was 14. Okay. And then every man I've dated afterwards has tried to introduce me to them. So, it's fantastic. <laughs> that's just like uh i think my friend michelle and i made that joke with each other once but uh mm. yeah we were that kind those those girls in high school and college basically but you know see no evil was the first song i ever heard by television and obviously people talk about marquee moon in the solo a lot but see no evil is that's a song for me that's a guitar part for me 
And I can't tell you how tickled I was to, in later years, find out that Elvis Cost. Oh gosh, glitch to find out that Elvis Costello was uh, inspired by uh, that song to write the guitar part for "I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea." So I, I love learning little bits and facts about music like that. Television's Marky Moon, one of the most influential, like I guess, post-punk albums of all time. Please check it out if you haven't. And men out there, please stop trying to introduce women to the replacements. They might already know who they are. That's my spiel. <laughs> and of course, Tom Verlaine recently left us, which is very sad. Mm. Sadness. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's my pick, number one. You got anything good? Yeah, well, I mean, well, good is always subjective, but um, I would definitely say one of my essential albums, and I think um, it's so hard because it was like three or four albums, and I was like, oh, I have so many. It's so hard to pick. I feel like I'm betraying other ones to make <laughs> like a choice. At this, rate, but... at this rate, we'll get through more than three to four. <laughs> Probably. I wrote extras just in case, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, obviously, you know, offend any. <laughs> Um, okay, so the album I would say that is kind of, I listen to, I would say, oh, so much during 2020, besides, you know, Impossible Weight, you know, my obviously Deep Sea Diver, um, is the group called Holy Holy, and uh, the album is called When the Storms May Come. And that album from start to finish for me is not only lyrically um, something that I really, really love how vivid and um, the way the storytelling is, but also the way the guitars accompany it. Um, the beginning of the album starts off slow with, uh, what do you call it? It is called Sentimental and Monday. And yeah, it really does, the overall feel of the song is very sentimental. And one of my favorite lines in that song is years, years, years pass and the faces change in the photographs i like that kind of you know you understand that obviously when you have friends you have family and of course as it, it was just really a great description and uh yeah a lot of the lyrical imagery was my favorite um the other aspects of it that i really loved was the one song that really always sticks with me it's called history and it really is a nice kind of driving rhythm in the fact that a lot of the context of the song has to deal with, you know, trying to make your mark, trying to work through obviously fear and the doing of things. Um, I'll read the lyrics because again, the lyrics are like the most important part to me. At least in this song, it says, all this time, as I've tried to understand, I realized what I believe has moved again. And what are we, if not bones and blood and teeth, were memories, imperfect films of who we've been. And the cloven ton of fear licks softly at your ear at night. And the only risk you take is that all of your mistakes survive. And I always love that risk-taking kind of, that's the only thing that's left behind. And the fact of doing, and the fear is always going to be there. That's perseverance, that courage. Um, I like songs that kind of, remind you of that, that it never goes away. Another one is You Can't Call for Love Like a Dog. The drive of that song and lyrics is just incredible. Um, and of course, the way that uh, love is described, you know, it's, 
it's it's basically the rise and the fall. Like it's so many ways that the it's described and just the tone of the guitars in that song. Like a lot of them just have like a lot of driving rhythms that I love. Um, Holy Gin is great because obviously I'm a gin girl. <laughs> but uh, I love the fact that it starts off as something that's kind of slow rolling into it. And then once like the pre-chorus uh, right before the next verse hits, it's almost like a psychedelic dive uh, into a lot of the orchestral kind of movements of all the guitars and everything together of the instruments. I really do love kind of albums that kind of break um, just kind of stereotypical um, music forms that typically they're associated with. Um, yeah, this album from start to finish for me, I still can constantly listen to and just find that it makes me happy. It is something that I think in some of the guitar tones and the way, really, it's the lyrics. I was just like, I listened to them. I was like, oh, I wish I could write like this. <laughs> and that's also mm -hmm. like another album that I'll talk about later, like lyrical uh, message, uh, message delivery, along with how the treatment is with the guitars and how the delivery is of the chords behind it, even when it falls away and the words are just by themselves to add emotional weight in somewhat of the silence and minimal mm -hmm. instruments. God, I love that so much. But yeah, that's, yeah, I that's mean, my I, first one. I mean, I'm with you. I'm a I'm a big lyrics person too. Mm -hmm. I I know that lyrics aren't always the first thing a person hears in a song, but like bad lyrics can really, really take mm -hmm. me out of it, man. Like <laughs> I love the song uh Warrior by by Scandal. That's Patty Smythe Smith. I don't know, it's Smith with a Y, but she has this line in that song your eyes touch me physically and every time i hear that lyric <laughs> i cringe so hard oh, no. i'm like ah couldn't you have said that's... like you're like literally anything else like your eyes that touch me physically no nobody wants that that reminds me of a heart song um and the lyric yeah. is very similar they're all eyes touching me in the night you're all eyes yeah like yeah it's basically but not yeah, physically but not, not physically, physically. Yeah. <laughs> like that that visual image of someone's eyes touching another person's physically mm. i mean you're taking your eyeballs not... out and just touching them <laughs> like that sounds unsanitary it does i don't think i don't think your ophthalmologist would appreciate no. you doing that no. <laughs> at all <laughs> and that's just really really gross but speaking of like good <laughs> yeah but like speaking of good lyrics uh one of the records that i can always go back to is lucinda williams car wheels on a gravel road that's my first americana pick uh for sure but this album has such such classics on it i mean just the the hearing car wheels on a gravel road that is very invocative yeah. of a line by itself but man, I can't even just <laughs> looking at this track list, I couldn't pick a single song that's influenced me more than any of the others yeah. because it's all there. And like Joy, Still I Long for Your Kiss, Can't Let Go, Lake Charles, Drunken Angel is a, just a great song. Right in Time is such a great sexy song. Um, but one I love the the story 
of the recording of that album because it's one of those that was recorded multiple times because Lucinda felt like she just couldn't get it right. So I believe Steve Earle called it the least fun he's ever had working on a record. (laughs) But man, like, I don't, I like all of that, all of that worth it because I think it's one of the greatest records I've ever heard in my life and in the Americana Americana genre, I think it's really difficult to pick another album, you know, from that era, that nineties, that maybe was more influential or even better. I, I dare say that the only one I can even think might compete with that would be like, I hate to say Ryan Adams heartbreaker, but that's up there for me. Um, but the Oh brother where art thou soundtrack oh yes yeah. i love that one too <laughs> yeah i mean that that introduced a hell of a lot of people to americana i'm sure that i'm not sure it was really called americana then um but it was definitely like bluegrass country american music kind of stuff all these influences and all these people like allison krauss Emmylou lou harris and gillian welsh gillian welsh i'll get to that later but uh <laughs> some phenomenal work and you, you know you listen to this album you're probably not thinking so much about the guitars you're thinking about lucinda's lyrics and her gravelly delivery of them her voice and she just is one of those who's so phenomenal and if uh i know she's had a stroke so i don't know if she's still doing very many live shows but to see her live was always kind of funny because she would do everything on stage that you're told not to do on stage the swaying back and forth she always has her lyrics out there in front of her really but still she's just a sight to behold just a force of nature yeah those are those are always the best and i always love also singers that have unique tones to their voice i always find that i gravitate to those that are iconic that way yeah i mean you look at some of my favorite singers uh, mm-hmm. My favorite performers, I should say. Obviously, the Hold Steady. Craig Ben has a unique <laughs> voice. Kathleen Edwards, she has a unique voice. Uh, Gillian Welsh has a unique voice. Lucinda does. I think it just like makes the music more interesting. Like I've yeah. listened to a lot of country radio, pop country radio, most of it against my will. And oh. man, all of those male singers, they sound the same. Yeah, like they all have that low tenor. Yeah. Yeah, there's this homogenization of it. I find that the male singers mm. in country music, at least pop country, generally sound the same, especially in the late nineties and early two thousands. Yeah. They all kind of had the same the same thing going on. But uh I, I tended to gravitate away from that for for a reason. Maybe someone with a little bit higher voice, maybe someone mm. with a much lower voice like David Berman, who's just one of the most phenomenal was one of the most phenomenal songwriters of, of all time. And I think that I would prefer someone with imperfect vocals and yeah. a great song message delivery than someone who's like sings like they're always like on the box, you know, always on auto tune or always perfect. Oh yeah, no, I I appreciate imperfect. <laughs> yeah, it's more human, especially yeah, for a genre course. like country, which you know I think of all the genres that haven't. Uh, a fetish for authenticity country Mm. music's maybe one of the worst ones that i've had experience with Mm. it's yeah 
I don't know how they it's, rectify it's a like polish now. Yeah, it's over polished now, but that people still expect it to be like authentic in some way. I'm like, this like is you can't have you can't have both. <laughs> like... I mean, if you look back at country music in general, there have been huge swatches of time where country music was, especially the stuff out of Nashville, always very overproduced versus the stuff that was coming out of, like Bakersfield. The Nashville sound is basically pop music with a pedal seal. Even for mm-hmm. even for back then, um, like I like uh, th- that song. Don't I think it's Don't You Know It's the End of the World. I think that was recorded in Nashville with like that's the Nashville sound. It's from Girl Interrupted. Okay, if if you're trying to peg where you know that one from, mm-hmm. um, it's a very pivotal moment of in the movie with Brittany Murphy. I remember sure. Brittany Murphy more so like rolling with the homies. <laughs> Clueless, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I remember when she died. That was sad. But let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, well, so let's talk about other things. Yeah, um, let's talk about anything else. Yeah. Uh, as far as like the next album that I'm choosing, it has a lot of influences for me. Um, I really, really do gravitate to artists that are very much world building or stories. Every album has a story. Um, you have characters. It's very dramatic. Um, and yeah, even even the stage performance is like theater almost. Um, I come from a background of like Alice Cooper. You know, I've gone to those yeah. stage shows, like incredible. And, you know, I've listened to a lot of the classics like, you know, Aerosmith, Blue Oyster Cult, like everything that I kind of grew up on. And one of the things that I know I've mentioned it on the podcast, one of the great influence that I had when I was younger was Alice Cooper's album, The Last Temptation, um, which was a good story kind of album from start to finish. It even was paired with a comic book from with Neil Gaiman in basically working with Alice Cooper, which was really cool. I did. I do have it somewhere. Um, the other album I would say, cause I haven't gotten to the one yet, but I'm kind of having a pre kind of other ones that I like. Janelle Monae's Metropolis is very the same where it's, she's a robot and it's basically that Afrofuturism. To, yes. I yeah. so love that. She, the, her music to me is just so conceptually vivid and amazing that like yeah from start to finish that album it was just great um but the album i'm gonna go with uh for my next one is of course ghost because i'm a ghost fan yeah and knew that was yep. coming <laughs> you knew that was coming <laughs> but funny thing is i started off with maybe mentioning prequel because that was the first album that i had actually got into ghost i saw them I listened to a little bit of one of the other albums, which was Melioria, and they won the Grammy for um, in 2016. But I really started with Prequel, and I saw them in November of 2018. Um, And I listened to them lightly, but I wasn't really that kind of like, I guess, obsessed. And then I caught what they call a ritual live. And yeah. I, I was uh, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I then pretty much had the most incredible experience with the stage performance, the music and everything. Everything was live by that point, all the nameless ghouls and everything. Um, and yeah, for the next six months, I listened to the other 
four albums. Like I was in a trance for like six months. Like I just listened to that. It was just incredible. But the album I'm going to mention is Meliora for sure. Um, <laughs> Square Hammer, obviously. I'm, made, I'm naming one of the ones that if people listen to Ghost, like obviously a stereotypical. Of, oh yeah, that's that. those are the ones. So Square Hammer is pretty much like really great. It incorporates organs very much. I would describe as... Scooby-Doo chase music, <laughs> if I was to describe, or Dark Abba. Like, that's really what dark I... Dark Abba. Yeah, that's what I call Ghost, is Dark Abba. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or, you know, uh, it, 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 I love the heavy guitars in Pinnacle to the Pit. Uh, Cerise is really great. I love Majesty, but it because it has some Kiss vibes to it. Mm. You have, like, some new nuances, but everything is such an amalgamation of, like, classic rock and also metal in some ways. But then, of course, when he sings, his voice is so nasally that at first you're like, oh, I don't know if this really works, but it like grows on you. And of course, mm -hmm. over the span of the albums, they started off really heavy. But of course, as they get obviously further along and even the most recent album, um, Impera, which has more of, I would say, Death Leopard kind of sounding kind of 80s vibes more of the guitars and solos and the way things are sung spill waves is great um but yeah um deuce absentina mummy dust is really great on meliora i could name others but yeah like that album from start to finish and even like the little musical interludes like there's no lyrics or nothing but just kind of that whole like church chorus like organy kind of stuff that it fades in and out between songs it's really great um I've listened to a lot of interviews um, from Tobias Forge, which, again, if people don't know, every papa, because there is a pope uh, for each album okay. that looks different, but it's the same guy behind a mask. So mm. Tobias Forge, he basically, in the interviews, have talked about all the world building that this is that every album even on youtube they have these chapters or stories in between and he always acts really like you like goofy like it's they're not serious at all even though it's like the lyrics and everything are very like you know the opposite of the church like the upside down dark church or satanism or whatever mm -hmm. but like it's very much like not like they know that they are being campy like they it's not to me I don't feel it as serious like because again I come from like listening to Alice Cooper where it's like no he's not really eating babies <laughs> like you nah. know aside from the one time Ozzy bit on a bat that he didn't know about I mean he wasn't really planning I mean why was somebody, really? <laughs> why, would, why would he think someone's like there's a real bat on stage like <laughs> no one would have yeah but yeah, yeah. like I so like yeah, it's still Ozzy's done some great. Listen, yeah, he does. Oz, <laughs> he probably Ozzy's doesn't even done, know <laughs> where he is right Oz, now. Ozzy's done some crazy stuff outside of the bat thing that yes. would haunt you, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, uh, but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, um, I have really enjoyed the interviews, hearing how Tobias Forge thinks and his approach to creativity and, of course, his overall concept of these albums. And yeah, like you can tell in every song the amount of passion and delivery. Um, you know, the guitars there also, it's like, oh, that's so good. Um, mm -hmm. Even in some of them that the lyrics aren't the best, I would say in uh, prequel Life Eternal, if it's mm -hmm. not really the greatest of lyrics and it's often yeah. very repetitive, but it's the, I guess, the um, 
the message in which it's trying to convey is sweet enough that it's okay. I guess they have ballads. They're a mixture of like ballads and like pseudo kind of religious subtext kind of stuff. But yeah, metal, classic rock, like they're amalgamation of so many things. But yeah, I really enjoy them as kind of like a guilty pleasure. And yeah, no, no, sorry, yeah. not sorry, non apologetic. No such, <laughs> listen. No such thing as guilty pleasures. Yeah. I believe that if you really like something, you're best to own it. Mm-hmm. You got it. This episode of Get Offset is brought to you by Moog Music. For over seven decades, Moog's product catalog has spanned everything from DIY theremin kits to custom large format modular systems. Moog instruments continue to inspire artists and listeners around the world. As music technology continues to evolve, the company and its employee owners carry on Bob Moog's devotion to creating innovative tools designed for the musician. Moog Music's latest venture is a reimagining of some of its most influential analog instruments of the past for today's production workflow. The Moger Foger Effects plugins are compatible with all major DAWs across Windows and Mac operating systems, making that Moog sound more accessible than ever. Uh, what you're hearing right now in the background, I use the uh, plugin MF103, that is the 12 stage phaser. It's a descendant of the vibrant 1970s rack mounted Moog phaser with an onboard LFO. What I love about this plugin is that it can go from very subtle to very wild, and I'm, I have a lot of fun going through the presets that come with it. It kind of unlocks things that I never would have thought possible with the phaser. Learn more about Mografoger FX plugins by clicking on the link in the video description or show notes, depending on where you are watching and or listening, or by visiting software.moogmusic.com. That's software.moogmusic.com. I do also want to tell uh, y'all I got something from Matoverse mm. Electronics that I wasn't expecting. So I do just want to shout out Matt over there at Matoverse for for this. Like this has completely floored me. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast, you probably know I'm going through some home renovations that I wasn't really planning <laughs> on having to do. <laughs> and too. I commented on his de- desktop solar sound. And this oh, is a light oh, powered, so cool. light powered desktop uh, saturator. Desktop satur- satur- saturator. It says, uh, "This is great. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, I've loved everything Mattaverse that I've played. The Trimstortion is an early favorite of mine. The uh, Swell Echo Swell Del- pedal um and i recently did a demo and video and some uh social clips for the flora volt which is basically a voltage starved fuzz and you use produce to uh (laughs) make gainy sounds so thank you so much matt this was really unexpected um i'm floored by the generosity there everyone please please consider supporting metaverse electronics or at least checking out what they have matt's one of my favorite current pedal builders just consistently making unique fun stuff and i think we could all use a little bit more fun in in pedals because as i often say for most people this is a hobby it should be fun no of course and if a effects pedal is inspiring and unique then yeah you'll spend hours in the evening just getting lost in the sounds and it's always fun playing with these little toys Mm -hmm. totally 
Well, I want to talk about my next record. Uh, I'm sure people are surprised I haven't mentioned Prince yet, so I'm going to now. (laughs) You have waited. You have held back. Now we shall receive. Choosing one Prince album is is very difficult. I was reading a list from Pitchfork of like the 200 best albums of the 80s, and they put Purple Rain at number one. I can't disagree with that, but I'm going to say Parade. I think that everyone should listen to his Parade record. It's so different from everything else in his repertoire. It's essentially the soundtrack to a very bad movie that he made. So the follow-up to Purple Rain... Really, people were really excited about that one, but he wanted to do it all in black and white, and he had more acting, and it was actually acting for him. Uh, and you know, it's just not—it's not a great movie. It's a movie I very much enjoy watching, and the music in it is very good. But you can hear the different influences on that record. Definitely more chill, more laid back, and you know, the single "Kiss" is on that record. That's reason enough to own the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, so Kiss, not like a lot of the other songs on the record, um, but still very, very fun. Fun piece of trivia about that song is uh, when that song was number one, Prince actually held the number one and two spots on the Billboard charts that week because he wrote the number two song, Manic Monday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, what a week. What a what a great week that must have felt like. Can you imagine? <laughs> I'm sure there are songwriters who feel like this a lot, but that was that was an impressive feat, especially for back then. Um, another cool thing about that record is I if I remember correctly, the first three songs were tracked in a row with Prince just mm. sitting down at like a drum or a drum machine. He laid down the three drum tracks, rewound the tape, uh, and then did the rest of the instrumentation all on his own there, uh, just in the studio. And uh, Susan Rogers, who was his tech at the time, said he would get impatient and ask if they could rewind the tape faster. (laughs) (laughs) I do always love that he was pretty much a man that did everything himself. Like, to have that kind of conceptual, creative output is just incredible like i can't imagine sitting down and like programming the drums for three songs sitting down and doing just the drums for those three songs yeah and then the bass and then the guitar piano vocals whatever all like like that like starting like it's like building three houses at once yeah building the foundation three times in a row instead of building one at a time which is how most people do it yeah like i have to do it like in like separate in spurts like one day i'm like okay here's like the baseline okay another day like here's the guitar oh what is the lyrics gonna be okay that's a week like that's yeah i can't do it all in one sitting like that's impossible for me yeah these things were fully formed in his head and that's just stunning i wish (laughs) i wish prince was an interesting genius in the fact Mm. that he possessed multiple kinds of genius uh he had the genius of like mozart musical can Mm. just like write out and understand everything but he also had the physical genius of somebody bright like lebron james who has just such impeccable control over their body thus like the guitar playing like there's multiple kinds yeah there's multiple kinds of genius and uh prince possessed a few of them and that's i think probably why we never stopped talking about him in his life even though he (laughs) never went back and revisited old stuff really save Mm -hmm. for one or two times 
he really was always looking forward to the point where he didn't put his music on streaming services and didn't keep that accessibility up there for younger generations they found him on their own and that is uh really impressive yeah yeah a lot of times legacy artists have to really push to keep their their uh, body of work relevant and they do that Mm -hmm. by putting songs in movies and commercials promoting it on streaming doing reissues of stuff prince really didn't do that he was more interested in what was ahead people would ask him what's your favorite record and he would say the next one (laughs) yeah again like i understand that in my aspect because like as an artist it's always the next thing or what am i going to do next not more looking behind you and what you've already done because for me i'll find all the flaws (laughs) so like as far as like constant movement forward yeah, it's always chasing, like, what's the next inspiration? What's the next best thing? And, yeah, just trying to even be your own market person at this point in this day and age. Like, I don't, yeah, as far as if Prince were alive today, like, I don't know in this climate what his take or what he, how he would exist in this time frame. I'm really curious about what he would have thought about lockdown (laughs) stuff like that would he would he would have made like five albums in like a week oh that was a normal week for prince i'm pretty sure (laughs) he had like i think he died having three albums and two or three albums in progress if i I heard there was a vault (laughs) yeah he has he had a vault um of unreleased stuff that people can depending on the quality of it Mm. and it's my understanding that like it wasn't particularly particularly well maintained um, they I could be you. releasing stuff for a hundred years. Yeah, it's, it's. I understand that. It's like as a musician or somebody that records in their DAW and they would have like over the past year a whole bunch of stuff that they kind of recorded, but it didn't go anywhere or wasn't fully developed, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, sometimes you write a song and uh, later you write a separate song and you realize that earlier song, yeah. you were trying to get Myth. to something yep. else. Like Elvis Costello, um, his probably flagship song is still allison Hmm. and he had written a song earlier in his life and career called imagination is a powerful deceiver and he wrote something like listening back on imagination is a powerful deceiver i can tell that i was trying to write allison and i remember talking to uh eva from charlie bliss on episode of the podcast and uh they had released their great album young enough um on in 2019 and then afterwards they released an ep of like things that didn't make the album things that were recorded earlier Mm. there was one song on that that really stood out to me as being close to one of the songs called the truth that made the album i remember asking eva like do you feel like when you were writing the song that's essentially a b-side that you were trying to get to the truth the song and the idea and uh (laughs) i think I don't think she's really thought about it very much, but I hope she does now. (laughs) Yeah, I think when we're posed with questions like that, you're like, oh, I never thought of that. You know what? You're probably right. I was trying to get to the truth of the heart of (laughs) the song, but I didn't find it in that one. I found it in obviously the one that we went with, but I still felt that there maybe there was some validity in the one that was before had something still. And yeah, it makes sense that they would still have something separate to then release kind of at least to honor that process of the before yeah and i think prince did that a lot and Mm. i so i think a lot of stuff in the vault was probably not fully baked though Uh, susan rogers did say like for his 1987 album sign of the time some of those tracks were like demoed 
in mm. 82. And so he would go back and he would be like, this song that I had back then might fit this with some changes. Okay. And yeah. so you can always, you can always pull from the back catalog, but to dwell in it is like the things that were released. It's probably not the best. It's going to prevent you from going forward. Yes. Perfecto De Castro told me to like delete the YouTube studio app on my phone, because if you're looking at the numbers of your last video, it's going to change your thoughts about what you're going to do for the next one. I as a marketer, Mm-hmm. As a marketer, I, I I want to look and see like what worked and what <laughs> yeah. didn't, but I, I fully understand what, what he was saying. And if I felt like my demos were more like yours or like Anne Slikowski's or Megan L's and like art, I would think about that less um, and just keep doing what I'm doing. But uh, no, mine are, I don't think of my demos as art. I have other avenues for that element of my creative brain, I guess. So I just try to focus on the device in front of me uh, in a very laser focused ways. Whereas a lot of other demo folk, they're able to do both. And I really respect that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of disagree with you in the fact that it's not art because again, in the way that you are teaching or showing the pedal has its own structure and way of being presented visually that is still not only good for education for someone watching and deciding whether they like that pedal or not, but you're doing it in a manner that I think is easily accessible for people. So I still think in in its own creative way, I do think so. But I I know I I am... (laughs) I think of it as performing, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the same way my sister-in-law does cooking classes, Hmm. and I've been to a few of them, and I'm like, Laura's an entertainer. Laura's a performer as an educator and i feel like that's what all the best educators have in common mm-hmm. is that they understand that so you have to educate entertain at the same time yep yeah or you're just gonna at lose least we everybody. try to we try <laughs> we try we try it's always a leap of faith like you never you create these things and you release them up to the world and it's like the biggest anxiety riddled risk it's like i don't know whether any of this is going to land i don't know whether anyone's going to yeah, but it's just, I have to create. Like, that's the artist's, it's that drive. You have to. Yeah, Are you going totally. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's next for you? What's on your list? All right. Well, the next one on my list is Ben Howard. Um, again, I know I struggle with a lot <laughs> of artists to talk about. Um, I would definitely say that Ben Howard's album, um, I Forget Where We Were, that album was really great. In was it In Dreams was the first I heard. He does a lot of acoustic open tuning. And the way that he plays the guitar, there is notes and tapping. And just the way the guitar sounds almost sounds like a tapestry of colors to me. Like, apart from his lyrical genius and how descriptive he can be with some of the things that he's talking about. Because, again... Um, Anytime that I've been, I guess, depressed or been in darker spots, I would say his music is very melancholy, but I feel like also at the same time with the use of delay and reverb in his lyrics that sometimes are paired with the acoustic guitar, but also stripped away. Um, I don't know. I always feel like cradled in melancholy, if I could call it that. Um, mm-hmm. I really love the artistry of his work and even the one before, which is every kingdom, um, the fear 
is one of my favorite albums. I mean, one of the favorite songs because of the lines that always sticks with me um, in that song. And it's such a heavy, really gets at the point of the matter of us as humans and fear. Um, the one line that sticks out with me always is, I will become what I deserve. And that always just sticks with me, obviously, in the nose of the grindstone. Anytime that I worry about whether things are going to be right, just putting the work in and just trying to persevere despite all hardships. Um, Time is Dancing is great on the album. Uh, she Treats Me Well. Rivers in Your Mouth um, is really great. But I would definitely say a lot of pedals, because I've seen his pedal board. When I was <laughs> first kind of getting into things, he's one of the reasons why I have a Strymon uh, Brigader. Mm. He is definitely why a lot of my ambient kind of traversement uh, went towards that direction. When I first started playing like with the ukulele or with guitars before electric, yeah, like that's a lot of his effects are pretty much what I kind of strive for and I still kind of strive for. Um, heavy delay, reverb, um, and yeah, a little light, I guess, drive on his tones. But yeah, just overall, it's just a treat to listen to his music. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really gotten into that in any of my picks, so I'm glad that you are. Like talking about how listening to other music is going to inspire mm -hmm. the sounds that we, we seek in our own music. Not necessarily in attempts to recreate it, no. but just because it strikes our ear and we want to yeah. expand on it, maybe. Exactly. Like any kind of artist that I love their music and their art and I'm inspired by, I don't ever set out to create what they create. I like the tones and sounds that I can then think about for myself to explore. Like, oh, on this, mm -hmm. this one track, oh, I love the way how washy that delay is. Oh, let me see if I can re recreate that. Oh, you know, I can't mm -hmm. recreate that. Okay. And what was on his pedal board? Okay. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah for, for myself though like I in the way that he writes and with all the tunings and everything yeah like he is a genius that I know I'm not going to obviously attempt to try to create myself I don't have as much patience <laughs> uh but yes I do appreciate his work and find that I'm always inspired by it yeah yeah I love that um I you know, I'm sure that there's lots of gear I've bought because someone told me it was good. Um, but just there's something special about figuring out what made that guitar tone that really yes. clicked with you. And uh, <laughs> sometimes my husband will ask me, what pedal are they using? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I sometimes can hear it. I sometimes, sometimes you can, can tell, but yeah, you can be like, I more like, oh, well, that's a, a gated fuzz and a spring reverb or something like that. Like, I can be less specific, but um... that, that that was a little funny recently. Like Anne did a post in which she was using like you know a certain effects, and I was like, "Is that the flute, like you know, setting on the Mel Nine? She goes, "Only oh. you would know that." She was like, "Only you would know that." <laughs> just to hear yeah. by ear and just go, "Yeah, that's that's the flute, isn't it?" <laughs> I love yeah. that. That that's one of the I, ones I would say that got away. I sold it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, there, yeah. there are definitely pedals that are more <laughs> obvious than others. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the Sadisk Man by Catalan Bread mm. is one of them. I think, uh, you know, some of those pedals by Hologram Effects 
or also Chase Bliss yeah. are you know relatively easy to pick out of a lineup. And if your ear is really tuned, mm-hmm. you can tell like what flavor of a distortion and fuzz yeah. is. But uh, that's just a game I don't I don't play that game very much. <laughs> I was like trying to play it. I mean, I'm not yeah. always right, but I'm just like, mm, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but uh, my last pick is uh, an album I've been listening to pretty much nonstop since it came out. Uh, it's Blue Rev by Always. And I know I've talked about this band a lot. Mm-hmm. I just went up to Canada to see them. And I they're a band that gets better with, with every single record everything from the production to the songwriting to the vocals molly rankin's vocals and their guitars and the drumming too um because they have a really terrific drummer named uh sheridan and they're just a killer like i can't tell you how i I can probably i can probably count on one hand the number of times Mm. i've been to a show and just like watch the drummer and uh they're probably both always shows and also pete thomas from uh, the attractions and the imposters, Elvis Costello's drummer. I like to watch him as well because he's fun to watch. But Blue Rev is just such striking songwriting. Uh, Molly Rankin's songwriting, especially. I know she works with um, Alec O'Hanley, the guitarist, to write most of the songs. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how she can write a song that's both emotionally devastating and fucking hilarious at the same time. <laughs> I love those. Like, there's a song about, like, knowing that your partner's cheating called velveteen very sad song but some of the lyrics in it are they're they're i'm sorry they're funny like the visualizations yes that she makes uh like sliding down the banister in a closet full of lace uh there's a lyric a closet full of lace acquired recently who am i to debase in this economy and i think that my (laughs) friends and i say in this economy as a joke a lot so maybe it's just funny to me yeah but like going to Getting a bag of dicks in this economy? <laughs> Going for a walk in this economy? <laughs> Stuff like that. So, like, the guitar tone on that, obviously monster guitar tones. Lots of effects and pedals. Mm. And just used really smartly and effectively. And even on vocals some of the times. And uh, it's a record I literally cannot stop listening to. Somebody please help me. I can't stop listening to this record. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, it's Blue Rev by Always. Um, ben was on lots of best album song of the year charts last year. Oh, going into this year. Um, so obviously I'm not alone in that assessment. Yeah. That I think I do think it's a record that people are going to be listening to for a long time. And we had to wait so long for it, but it was so worth it. So no, it's, kudos it's always great record. Yeah. And, I, and again, when you were talking about earlier in the fact that like you can hear the progression of sound and how they've gotten better with each album, I think it goes back to that whole thing where I know we've talked about is the whole thing of like start. The doing is where the progression happens. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, where you start, it may not be where you want to be, but hey, years down the road, you'll probably get to where obviously the sound that you're kind of trying to get, but you have to keep doing to get there. And, you, and yeah. And you have to keep moving forward and trying yes. new things mm-hmm. instead of trying Always. the same thing over no. and over. Yeah. Like uh, Vampire Weekend's another band that I think does that mm-hmm. really well. Uh, no, nothing turns me off on a band like them having two records that sound sameness yeah stagnation Pretty much the same yeah, and like i, I love like El- i love elvis costello and he's done it twice 
<laughs> and both times I'm like, man, I liked it for one. I was like, or I was like, fine for one. But why did, why did, why did that song? Why did, why, I mean, sorry, why did that record get a sequel and not this record? <laughs> like, why did, oh my God, what was the shitty pop record he made? I mean, he made Punch the Clock and Goodbye Cruel World. Like, why did Punch the Clock get a, get a sequel? Oh. Goodbye Cruel World sucks. Like, why did you do a sequel of your Bluegrass record? Like, one was enough. I was fine with one. But two? You're asking too much of me, although. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate um, when music uh, musicians and bands go and try new things and new styles of music. I respect that. It's not always for me. Like, I'll even, you know, because I just talked about Ben Howard. I love Ben Howard's early works. His later works... Not as much. There's some songs on there that I do like in the later albums, but again, they're for someone else or, you know what I mean? But I do appreciate it. I'm grateful for the albums that I can literally hold to my chest and hold dear. But yeah, I respect artists' freedom to be able to create things, even if it's shit, like to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, it's if, fine. If yeah. you swing, like I, when I swing played, when I played softball, I would, uh, Get in, I would have to run laps if mm. I struck out looking. So remember, if you strike out looking, you got to run laps. Nobody wants to run <laughs> laps after a game. No, no. When I played hockey, we did laps or sprints. I hated fucking sprints because I was a goaltender. Yeah. So all that equipment and doing sprints, we would get tired a lot a quicker lot. than everybody else. And fuck it, I hated sprints <laughs> no. so much. So we got right. time for one more. What you got? All right. Well, what I got for my last one, I figure I would come out swaying is Thunder Pussy for sure. Ah, yes. <laughs> That's a Seattle hometown hero yes. band for me. Yes. I love Thunder Pussy. Uh, the two times that I've traveled, I traveled to, you know, Portland in 2019 before the world fell. I saw them live there. And then when I went to Santa Fe, I saw them at Meow Wolf there. Um, and that was an incredible show. Um, the combination of their music reminds me in a lot of way of, um, like classic rock, Aerosmith, um, and a few others, uh, Molly and, uh, Whitney Petty. Oh, God, Whitney Petty is one of the reasons why I thought to myself in the crowd, I want to play electric guitar. Like I don't play like her, but just watching her mm -hmm. on stage and just fucking dominate and command and just fucking strut the way she does when she plays. And that kind of like chemistry Swagger. that's on stage. Yes. Like, Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> they are one of the, they are one of the coolest live bands out there. Yeah, totally. Like, oh, and that first album, especially, um, I love the whole album, but again, like between me and talking with my partner, Carlos, like he loves speed queen, which is of course the first track on there. Um, I love of course, thunder pussy, which is one of the main tracks. And they usually play it towards the end. Cause it's kind of like the battle cry at the end of the night. Um, velvet noose. I love the cloud torpedo love one of their music videos. They were filming that in a nuclear kind of like plant, uh, I guess silo, I guess you'd call it for the acoustics. Mm -hmm. Um, um, that was great. Fever is really great. Gentle Frame, I think, was something about a music exact experience that they had, which was kind of like uncomfortable, I think, when I read about that. All In and Young and Pure. It's like heavy driving classic rock, but then also these really silky, like smooth ballads that are just, uh, it's spellbinding, like Molly's 
voice like it's so 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 good like it's kind of a album that I love to get lost in or like get pumped up like it's mm -hmm. it has like this duality between the two that has it mixed together and their album after that is really great too but I always find that that first one really hits hard for me. They do covers as well, classic rock covers. When they were live, they did Sweet Emotion, which was really great um, when I saw them live. But yes, if you can see them live, they are, oh, they are, they are so fucking yeah. incredible. Like I, yes, it is something that you, one should do. Go see Thunder Pussy live, support them in any way possible. They are fucking incredible. I love them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's probably the most number the most number of times we said pussy on this show somehow. <laughs> Maybe that's why I picked it. <laughs> it's a great it just rolls off the it tongue. Is, that it is. It just word. does. Literally. Pussy just rolls off the tongue. Sue <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> well, everybody out there who's still listening somehow, uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash get offset for as little as $5 a month. You get access to our exclusive Discord server. Um, big ups to uh, the people who have joined recently. Anna's been great. I've loved her addition recently. Uh, let me see. Who's our newest Patreon supporter? Uh John Lampson, thank you so Thanks, much, John. John. Check your inbox for an hey. invite to the Discord server. Come to the Discord. Come to the box. Join us. Join <laughs> us. We also, have merch we also have merch at getallsetpodcast.com slash shop, including a shirt with my dumb face on it. I sold another one last <laughs> week. I don't know how this keeps happening. My parents are still confused. <laughs> keep confusing my parents. I'm a little confused myself, so keep confusing me. Yes, yes. <laughs> I find it hilarious. I love that it's like the roving pants. It's like your shirt is like traveling around out there. I think it'd be really funny if somebody wore that shirt to Nam. Oh my God, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all I've got really. Do you have anything else other than liking, commenting, subscribing? Uh, I have something really, really quick and I'll make it as quick as possible. Uh, I just finished editing exporting the marshmallow demo i am planning to have it out thursday night the premiere 8 30 eastern. eastern time in the evening Pacific. yes i wanted to stay away from april fools because like no like this is real <laughs> Sorry. so yes yes exactly so um yeah thursday night is the premiere i'm really excited i think total this kind of ended up being like close to like four months to make um it doesn't start off the way my normal like demos do and it's very much story driven and dialogue but i will put timestamps in there and it is definitely geared towards more ambient guitar players and sound designers so going into nice. that know that um so that you know you know what you're going in for just pretty much totally. like a cartoon show essentially Yes, love that. Everybody, please go check that out. Um, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, on the podcast next yes. week. I'll be excited. Um, but until then, thanks for watching slash listening. Thanks for understanding. Until next time, my name is Emily. I'm Joan of Heart. Goodbye. Be seeing you. <laughs>